0: the first of two weeks where we're going to talk together about what it means to deal with people in your life. The challenge of our own humanity and the challenge of other people's humanity. Because like it says up there, you know, if you have the eyes to see it, I'm not a natural appreciator of people. That's been a learned skill. I see what's wrong way better than I see what's right. Um, which is good for some things and not so good for others. But, you know, if you look around, it's really easy to kind of see what's wrong with people. I mean, if you just spend a Saturday afternoon in Costco, you're going to think that, (laughs) man, something has gone deeply wrong with humanity. Or my, my latest thing that just drives me crazy is you'll be in line behind somebody at a fast food place, and they wait until they get to the line to look at the menu. And they have no idea. And it's like, it's a fast food place. They don't have much on the menu anyway. How do you, how do you go to Del Taco and not know what you want before you get there? And yet, it happens. You know, there, there really is something up with people. I mean, really, you know, even the people we love and live with, we can drive each other crazy. It's amazing the way that a toilet seat or um, the toilet paper roll when you're still working that out or how something is put away or um, crumbs on the counter or something like that can just drive us nuts. And, and, and we begin to think something's gone seriously wrong with the world. One couple that we just know and love, and, and they're a great married couple. They have three great kids. We just love them to death. I was, I was talking to was my friend Robert, and I was talking to him about how we'd gotten this new Brita water filter, at home, you know, where you pour the water in, and at least it tells me that it filters the water as it comes back out. I'm not a scientist, I don't know, but I trust him that it does. And I've talked about how nice it is to have that, and he's like, oh yeah, we had to get rid of that to save our marriage, because <laughs> apparently one of them was putting it back empty into the refrigerator. You know. And what's fascinating is the way that those minor things just feel so big. And, and I think it's because we are wired to notice injustice, and we are wired to notice what goes wrong. And so we can sometimes take those, as I boldly mix metaphors here, we could take those lenses that we're given to, to see what's wrong, and we can put them on little tiny things, um, But still, those things remind us that things are not the way they're supposed to be, that there is a lot that's wrong in our world. And if we have the eyes to see it, man, there's a lot that's wrong in the world. This was a bad week for human beings. You know, we had another mass shooting this week in a movie theater in Louisiana. We have enough of those now in the United States that we have genres of mass shootings. We have theater shootings, school shootings, and workplace shootings, and things like that. And as of Friday, we had had, there had been, I think, 203 days this year, we had had 203 mass shootings in the United States just this year. And it's not just here. You know, you go to other places, and you see what ISIS is doing in, in the Middle East. You see what Boko Haram is doing in West Africa, the way that Christians are being persecuted, and other Muslims are being killed by these radical Muslims. You can look in Burma or Myanmar and see where Muslims are being persecuted by... Um, Buddhists there that we humans have a, a really bad streak in us and so that's kind of what we're going to talk about in the next couple this week and next is what do we do with that bad streak when we recognize it what's what perspective should we have on our our badness and and as you see people wrestle with this you know, it's where where can we look for help? What do we do about this? As you see, people wrestle with it. There's there's a basic question of, is it because humans are just irredeemably bad, and this is what's going to happen, um, or is there some recoverable good in who we are that God can work with and transform and empower? So as as we as we look at what's wrong in the world, whether it's that person who blocks the aisle at Walmart, or the person who's doing horrible, persecutive things. What, What do we do with that? Moreover, what do we do with what we know goes on in our own hearts? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we know that the bad things in the world don't just exist out there. I mean, sometimes in order to insulate ourselves, we'll focus a lot on what's wrong in the world because if I could just keep it all out there, then maybe I don't have to look at what's wrong with me. But I think all of us in those quiet moments, and perhaps in the quiet we just had right now, it's real easy to focus on what's wrong with us. and It's much harder to focus on what could possibly be right. And so that's what we're going to look at today and next week, is, is where do we look for help in the face of badness in the world, And in the face of our own troubles with ourselves, where can we look for help? Well, because this is church and because I'm a pastor, we're going to look at the Bible. It's probably not a shocker, but just to be clear, that's where we're going. And there's a particular psalm that addresses this in a way that I think is really powerful and will give us a really great image for how the Lord wants us to deal with our own brokenness and our own contribution to what's bad in the world, but keeping sight of who He really wants us to be. So, Psalm 8 begins. There's a, a, a subheading um, for the director of music, according to Get It," a psalm of David. Um, so, some of the psalms, so in the middle of your Bible, you have all these poems called the Psalms, or if you're a Greek speaker, they're psalms, but we don't, because they actually aspirate the PS, but we don't, so you just say psalm. If you say psalm, people will freak out and probably back up a little bit too as you say that. Um, but a, a psalm is a song. It's a it's a chanted it's chanted music. This was Israel's worship music. This was what they did when they gathered together to worship, when they would do it in families, when they would do it together as communities, they would sing, which was more like chanting because melody hadn't been invented yet. They would chant these songs together. And these are expressions of of what really mattered. The fact that this one was for the director of music, we're not quite sure what any of these super um, scriptions mean on these because there's just no context to figure them out. But evidently, there's a few of them that are ad- addressed to this, and they tend to have really universal themes. And so, these are probably ones… Psalm 8 was probably one that was used a lot as kind of the primary, some of the primary things that Israel used in their worship. Um, it says, it's according to get it. Um, and then there's a B, that's a footnote. I left in there to remind me to talk about that. So, if you have a a paper Bible, there's a footnote, and then it'll say, probably a musical term. And yeah, it probably is a musical term. We don't know what it means. And then, a Psalm of David. Um, We're not quite sure what that means either. David may have been the author. It may have been that um, this was part of a collection that was called the Psalms of David. It may have been done in his honor. Um, We're not sure. But here's what we are sure about, is... The psalm goes on to begin with this, and most psalms are, are addressed, they're spoken directly to God, and this is one of them. And so, this is a song of praise, and so, but it's also something that we can learn something from. So, it begins by saying, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Now, you'll see in a little bit how this psalm really does lead to solving some of the difficulties that we have as humans, that we, ha- we face as people. And so and, and it'll get to that, but it doesn't start there. What it starts with is asking us to focus on who God is. And there's a certain value in this. I don't know if you guys experience it this way, but I will often get caught into loops where I can start to see what's wrong. And again, this is again one of my primary gifts. I mean, if I just if if I was a no, I, I think I'm a decent writer, but I'm a much better editor. I think I do okay at this, but I, I'll do much better at picking it apart when I'm done. Um, if, I, if I go into a, a, an art gallery and there's a painting that has 25,000 brushstrokes, I'll notice the eight that seem off It's just kind of how it goes. And once there's something really powerful about once your mind and your heart has latched on to what's wrong, it becomes very difficult to see anything else. And what the first half of this psalm is doing is trying to get our eyes up and to realize there's way more than what's wrong. And so it reminds us of that, that the thing that rules this earth, that has majesty, that has power in this earth, is not what's wrong. It's not what's bad. You would think reading a newspaper that it's what's wrong in the world is the most important thing. If you read political websites, you would certainly see that because they're they're very focused on keeping us wound up. But what really rules this world is God's name. And by that, it means his power, his authority, his character. That the final word about our world is not what's on CNN or it's not when you come home and your wife asks you how your day was and you've got five things that were wrong. That's not the final reality. The final reality is that this world belongs to God and that every aspect of this world points to Him, that His name, that His authority, His character, who He is, is the most important thing in this world. The psalm goes on to tell us that it's there for us to see. This, again, is is us collectively speaking to God and, and saying to God, that you have set your glory in the heavens through the praise of children and infants you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger so the idea that you've set your glory in the heavens to make that a bit more prosaic and get it what the writer is saying here what this psalm is saying is that it's trying to tell us that God's glory is always visible that the heavens is a thing that you can see from anywhere and any place at any time. You know, if 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 the mount, if a particular mountain were a thing, if you could go far enough, you can't see that mountain, or you can put a building in between it and and something else, or you can go behind a small hill and not see a mountain. But if God's glory is up in the heavens, it's visible to anyone, and so that's what this psalm is trying to remind us as we say this and give this as, word, as praise to God, <coughs> it's reminding us that God's glory, that God's goodness is always visible. It's always there for us to see. It literally just arcs over anything that we can see. It also reminds us that how we talk about things has a lot of power. I think we've all gotten into, and this is really what we're going to talk about next week, but I think we've all found ourselves in patterns of negativity where we just kind of grumble, grumble, or, or at least you know people that are like this. Maybe, maybe not all of you are like this. We all kind of assume our own faults or everyone's, but um, that we can get trapped into particular um, patterns. And the way we speak and the way we talk about things, the way we describe things really is powerful. It, it, it affects how we see them. And this is reminding us of the power of words that are not articulating what's wrong, but the power of words that are proclaiming what is right. That even words from children and infants are sufficient to set things right again, to push aside what's gone wrong, to push aside what doesn't fit? What seems bad? It's enough to hold against the enemies, to silence the foe and the avenger. To even just the praise of children and infants. Now, this isn't like magic. It's not like words, you know, if you just say these words in the right pattern that things will go right for you. But it's this, this psalm is being really smart about the way that the way we talk about things really does affect how the way we see things. And that if our, our language and the things that we talk about are focused not just on what's wrong, but on how good God is and how God is present in our world. That really does make a difference. And the psalm goes on to talk about how the physical world really can help us get our eyes up and off of what's wrong and onto what's better and what's not eternal. You know, it says, "'When I consider your heavens and the works of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you have set in place.'" that considering the natural world really is a valuable thing, because it reminds us, you know, I I mean, just the the stuff that we've seen this week, um, you know, the pictures from Pluto, which took that spaceship, what, years to get there, and it's taking almost a day for the data to get back, you know, that's flying like at the speed of sight. It's just absolutely astounding, the distances and stuff, and to realize the stars that we're seeing were thousands and thousands of years ago, the light that we're seeing tonight, um, it really is astounding. And what it does, and what this psalm is saying, is that it gives us a sense of proportion. Whatever is bad in our lives always looks really big. And what this is reminding us of is that as big as they feel, there is something and someone who is bigger than whatever you're experiencing and that whatever you're seeing. And it may seem like an obvious point, but if you've been stuck in a cycle of negativity, if you've been stuck where you're just grieving for how the world has gone wrong, if you're stuck with just being disappointed with yourself over how you keep blowing it in predictable ways, I think it's helpful to remind ourselves that those things are relatively small and their duration is relatively short when we compare them to the goodness and the glory and the majesty of God who is very anxious to be involved in the midst of those broken and and dark places in our lives. And it does make us think we're a little small. You know, the, the psalmist finishes by saying, You know, what is mankind that you're mindful of them and human beings that you care for them? He almost, he kind of ends in kind of a down place that even though all of God's greatness is out here, you know, gosh, who are we, you know, in the midst of all that? Just get, we should just get over ourselves or something. But here's the good news. Oh, and somebody mentioned before. That C is a a footnote. Um, the, The older translation of this would translate this what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you are um, care, for, care for him? So the footnote is telling you, yes, we're translating this inclusively because in Hebrew, man didn't mean, you know, guys. It meant human beings. And so that's why they're translating that. But some people have learned this the other way, and so it's like, wait, this is different. And so that footnote is saying, yeah, we know. This is why. So, but it, it would be easy to get stuck there. But here's what's really great about psalm 8 yes it's it's really great at articulating helping us understand in a world that feels wrong a lot of the time god's goodness is still there god's greatness is still there and it is helpful when you're caught up in what's wrong to lift up your eyes a little bit and remind yourself of just how good god is and how good this world is that that he made for us but still you would end up in kind of a low place It's like, yeah, okay, so just get over yourself, human. That's not terribly good news. But what is good news is this is not the end of the psalm. I I think it was Hemingway that said, if you want a happy ending, it kind of depends where you decide to end the story. And this wouldn't be a happy ending if it ends here, but this psalm doesn't end here. It goes on. And where it goes on to, this is not where it ends, where it goes on to is something that is just astounding. That as much as I've articulated what's wrong with us as humans, what I really want you to come away with today is what is possibly just great and wonderful about us as human beings. And that's what we're going to focus on both today and next week. And it's just the reality that people are awesome. That you are, that I am occasionally, but you are all the time but that as bad as we can be as human beings, if if it helps you at all to just realize when you look at the depth of of how bad we can be as humans and, and to be very discouraged by that, that's something we do on our own. All the evil that human beings do, we do in our own power. And so if you want to think of human capacity as a spectrum, the most evil things that humans can do that we do in our own power if it's here on the spectrum? I want you to imagine what humans are capable of forgiven, empowered, and emboldened by God's Spirit to go the other way. If the worst that humans can do can just freak you out, I want us to imagine just what we actually are capable of as human beings when we go the right way that we truly are awesome. And the balance of this psalm really points that out to us. So it says this, talking about human beings, it says, You made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You know, it, it, it's, it's always been a question among human beings. You know, what what's wrong with us? Why do we do bad things? And, you know, there's kind of two answers. That we were created good, but we were really messed up. Or that human beings are bad, and they're occasionally capable of good things along the way. This is clearly on the first side of that. And it uses really exaggerated language to make that point. It's basically... There's a footnote there, E. Um, The Hebrew word there that's translated angels is the Hebrew word Elohim, which means God. It also means gods in general, and sometimes it means heavenly beings. Um, So the idea that's being put out here is that we were created just very slightly less than divine that we're not bad people capable of good things, but that we are good in the most profound sense that we could possibly articulate. Now, we're still capable of doing really bad stuff. But in our essence, in terms of who we are, of how we were made, God made us just slightly less than divine. And He's crowned us, crowned us, with glory and with honor. We just saw that word glory at the beginning, that the heavens declare God's glory, but do you know where glory really belongs according to this? Right on our heads. What you were made for was to not muddle along and do a little bit here and a little bit there and fail a little bit and then maybe succeed for a while. What you were made for was to receive glory and honor from the Lord Himself. Glory and honor from God. That those aren't things that you get maybe a little bit at the end, but this is exactly what you were made for as God's people, as people in general. Now, honor is kind of for what you are. Um, And I think we struggle with honor a little bit because... If you've ever chased that in your own life of wanting to be honored by other people, you know how toxic that can be. You know, you start to get that sense. It's like, hey, people ought to notice me a little bit more. Or they ought to notice what I'm doing here. No one's noticing. And, you know, you you do notice that. But if you've ever gone down a path where you've started chasing honor from other people, where you start to feel dishonored, or maybe respect is another word that, that works for a lot of people. You feel disrespected and you start doing stuff to feel respected. You know how toxic that can be when you start to go down that path. And so I think a lot of us, we just shut down to that. We just think, oh, I shouldn't chase that at all. But what this psalm is reminding us for is that you were created to be honored. Now, if you go chasing that and you try to relive your life about getting honored, you're going to be sad and unhappy. But here's the good news is you don't have to do that to receive honor. Um, There's another psalm that talks about exactly how this happens. Psalm 62, verse 7. It says, my salvation and my honor depend on God, that he is my mighty rock and my refuge. So, My honor doesn't depend on how well I execute my life because the same one who honors me is the one who saves me. This is a recognition that we're broken. This is a recognition that we're fragile. This is a recognition that we, left to our own devices, may not live up to what God really has for us, but it's not up to us that our honor doesn't come from what we can achieve. Our honor doesn't come from what we can build. It comes from God. That both our salvation and our honor are gifts that God gives us. And that we can rely, we don't have to rely on ourselves because we know if it's up to me, it's probably not going to work out. But the one who gives us both our salvation and our honor is a mighty rock, someone we can always count on. He's also our refuge, which means this still works when things go wrong. You were created to receive honor. I hope you get that from other people, and we're going to talk next week about how we can help each other experience that. But even if you are not, I hope you know today that you are honored by God. That He respects you. He honors you. In the deepest sense of both of those words, that God is desperate to show you honor. Today and to have you receive that from him. You were made for that, it belongs to you, and I think it bums God out that we don't take advantage of that. We were also made for glory, and glory is in some ways what we do rather than who we are. And here's where we get into the problem. If you know um, if you've memorized Bible verses at all. And your brain is starting to go glory, glory. What what verse do I know that has glory in it? This verse is probably one of the ones that you come up with. Um, when I was in high school, you know, it was like our youth leader was like, "You need to memorize the Bible." Actually, it was always God's Word was the term he used. So, so okay, I'll memorize. And so I learned John three sixteen, and I think this may have been the second verse that I learned, which is really kind of a buzzkill, you know, so if that's the second thing that you're supposed to know. It's true, but I think it'd be nicer if that would have been like number six or seven on the list, so some more affirmative things, because the reality is, is, is most of us don't need somebody to tell us that there's something wrong with us. We know that. I mean, we'll go through periods where we'll convince ourselves that it's her fault, or it's their, it's their fault, or if people just understood me better, everything would be fine, but then we get honest with ourselves and say, no. You know, we are unhappy with ourselves. So it's it's not news to most of us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we've all sinned and fallen short of that. That's not news to most of us. But what's good news is that you were made almost divine. Just slightly lower than the angels. And that God has crowned you with glory and honor. So yeah, have we failed ourselves? Have we failed God? Have we failed the other people in our lives? We all have. Does that make us ineligible for the honor and glory that God wants to crown us with? Absolutely not. In fact, in Romans, Paul goes on further, the same buzzkill verse in that same book, five, five chapters later, It says this, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. He's saying, you should really get this, that all of us were made by God and we belong to him, that we are his children, that that's an unbreakable relationship. Now, if we are his children, here's something you may not have realized, because we tend to think of ourselves as children that are giving their parents a hard time when we think of ourselves as children. And we forget the fact that if you're a child of God, that also means you are one of His heirs. You get His stuff. His stuff is passed on to you. That we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we have shared in His sufferings in order that we also share in His glory. So, what Romans is talking about there is that, you know, early on it's talking about that how Jesus, by dying on the cross on our behalf, suffered on our behalf to bridge that gap between us and God, to take away whatever problem our own disobedience and our own sin causes, to bridge us back to God and, and to restore that relationship to be as close as it could possibly be. And we share in his sufferings. So we share in what Jesus did for us on the cross. And in order to do and, and because we've done that, we get to share in his glory. Not just a little bit, not a small amount. It's like, no, you screwed up, so I only really get this much. We get the full amount. We get everything. And the reason is, is that as heirs of God, as heirs of Christ, Psalm 8 finishes by telling us that he, we were made to rule this world along with God. And he wants to put everything under our feet, just as it is with Jesus. This very language is used several times to describe how the world is under Jesus' feet, here it's used for us. Because we are his brothers and sisters in God's family. We have been crowned with glory and honor. Now, a lot of you guys are thinking, I'm not crowned. Come on. It would look silly if we walked around with crowns right now, because people don't normally wear crowns in our society. We used to, when I was in high school, We used to, it was kind of a big deal to go to Burger King <laughs> and then wear the crown back to class. Um, so I, I can remember when I was little thinking that does Burger King still do that? They're off my burger menu. I don't go there anymore. So did do, do they still do that? Anybody? Birthdays still do it? Okay. Um, so I remember when I was a kid, that's when the, the crowns first started. And When you're a seven-year-old boy, you just think, it's awesome, of course I have a crown. Because crowns are great, and you still have that sense that maybe I'm kind of okay too. Identify that place where if you were a kid, you thought it was fine to wear crowns, you thought it was fine to wear capes, you thought it was fine to dress up. To pretend, You know, if you had short hair and you were a girl, to wear a towel to pretend you had long, beautiful hair. All of those things. Because if you can identify that feeling, that's the feeling I want you to find today. Because you were meant for that. You were created for that. You were created to wear a crown for reals. Now, we would wear them to class when I was in high school, you know, because you'd have to go off campus to go to Burger King to lunch. And so wearing a crown back, a crown did several things for me at the time. It demonstrated to the other kids, ha, I went off campus for lunch and you were stuck here. So it had that value. And then it was also because I was that guy, it was a way to annoy my fourth period English teacher when I would come back wearing a crown to class. And she would... Because we could wear caps in class, but we couldn't wear crowns, and and I had that kind of perverse mind of, well, why is it okay to wear a cap and not a crown? You know, and I just thought that was the best thing ever. So if that's the feeling a crown gets, let that one go, okay? (laughs) But remember what it was like to wear a cape, to wear a crown to dress up, to have this sense that I can, I'm can, i something more than just a little five-year-old person. You were created just slightly lower than God. You were created almost divine to receive glory and honor. So as Ajua and the team comes back up, I don't know what that looks like to identify that in your life. So, if there's ways that you're sabotaging yourself, if there's ways that you know you've harbored sin, that you've, you've instead of getting rid of it, you've hung on to it, you've got to let that go. You've you got to give that up. You've got to give it to the Lord, ask the Lord's for forgiveness, let Him have it. But don't let that be your starting point, or your ending point. There's something about our experience of just knowing how we can go wrong and the world goes wrong, that convinces us and makes us forget what it was like to wear a crown. And friends, you were created just a little bit lower than God in order to be crowned with glory and honor. Let the Lord put that crown on your head today and live that